Welcome to Upstream Downstream, a lively civil discussion devoted to the political, policy, and cultural topics that often divide us. Upstream Downstream is presented by the Stubblefield Institute for Civil Political Communications at Shepherd University in cooperation with WSHC-FM. Here's your host, David Welch. Welcome to our fourth edition of Upstream Downstream. On January 4, 2019, the House of Representatives established the Select Committee on the Modernization of Congress, otherwise known as the Select Committee. The responsibility of the Select Committee was to investigate, study, hold public hearings, and develop recommendations for ways that Congress could become more effective, efficient, and transparent to the American people. The committee was designed to be truly bipartisan, having an equal number of Republicans and Democrats, and a shared staff. Its chairman was Washington's 6th Congressional District Representative Derek Kilmer, a Democrat. The vice chairman, Republican Tom Graves, represented Georgia's 14th Congressional District. Shortly after the committee completed its work, Representative Tom Graves retired from the House. On August 24, 2020, the Stubblefield Institute for Civil Political Communications had the opportunity to sit down with Representative Derek Kilmer and Representative Tom Graves as part of the American Conversation Series just two months before the Select Committee released their final report. The discussion began by explaining how a congressional office works. Probably the best way to describe it is they're, they're much like uh, individual entities or organizations. Uh, every office operates independently. Uh, every office has a different, what's referred to as a, an MRA, a Members Representative Allowance or, or Budget, that is, uh, equates to maybe the cost of living in the area, uh, travel distances, and other uniquenesses about a district. Uh, and, uh, but there are caps on number of employees that an office can have. Uh, there are salary caps within offices as well. Uh, but probably for the most part, the, the individual operations um, are, are really uh, up to the member and up to the staff, uh, how they set up their staff, uh, how the organization of their staff, the hierarchy, how they, how they might title their staff, and, and then ultimately to the focus of the office. Primarily, it would be constituent services, uh, which is really our number one um, objective as a member of Congress is to be that interface between your constituents and the federal government. And then what, what is the focus from a committee perspective? Where will you specialize and how will you prepare or gear your office to uh, focus like in mine and Derek's case, uh, the Appropriations Committee, uh, to, to have individuals that are um, uh, sort of in that line of thought, and that's where they're, that's their wheelhouse, basically. That's what they uh, are, are gifted to do and trained to do and have prepared to, to work in that, that area as well. But uh, ultimately, to answer the question, it's really up to each and every individual member and in how they operate their office, how they spend their resources, which are fully disclosed. Uh, everything's transparent. Uh, individuals can go in, online and, and look up how members spend dollars and where those dollars are allocated. But a, a lot of rules, as you can imagine, uh, are, are around those. And uh, But a lot of that is constraining. A lot of that provides a lot of duplicity. That was Representative Tom Graves on the mechanics of running different offices and committees. He was followed by Representative Derek Kilmer, who talks on just what exactly the Select Committee was trying to modernize in Congress. 
You know, I think you ask a question that, you know, we has that has been a, a common refrain for folks, you know, which is, so what's the select committee on the modernization of Congress? What's that about? And about every two to three decades or so, Congress realizes that it's not functioning the way it ought to, and they create a committee to do something about it. And this year's committee is called the Select Committee on the Modernization of Congress. And it's been charged with trying to figure out what the problems are in Congress and and to recommend uh, some solutions. We're the latest incarnation. The last one was formed in 1992. Uh, And our mandate's pretty broad. You know, we were tasked with looking at things like house rules and procedures, uh, technology and innovation, uh, the recruitment, retention and diversity of staff, uh, how members of Congress uh, uh, communicate with constituents uh, and where we can find um, ways for things to work better, including, as Tom mentioned, um, trying to find areas of savings where, you know, right now, one of the challenges is you have 435 largely independent contractors. And so when you think about things like technology and innovation, you're probably not getting the best deal if 435 separate offices are buying 435 different sets of technology of PCs and, you know, cell phones and things like that. And so, you know, among the things that our committee has looked at is also how do we drive greater uh, uh, bang for the buck for the American taxpayer as well. And um, I will mention one of the things that we've looked at, you know, we've also looked at some things that don't fit neatly into our mandate, but that we feel are, are important, like civility. And I know that that's, you know, part of the, uh, the, 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 the mission of the Stubblefield Institute. And you know, we're looking at that probably for the same reason that this institute exists, which is, I think, you know, people see opportunities to um, have Congress uh, work better uh, and and uh, be a more civil uh, place where there's more progress and less partisanship. We, we've also just passed a set of 12 recommendations focused on the continuity of government and that address some of the challenges that congressional offices have faced working through a global pandemic. And, you know, that too wasn't something that we set out to work on, although we started looking at issues around continuity before anyone had heard of coronavirus. And it just so happened that turned out to be um, very, very relevant this year. While having a truly bipartisan committee in Congress is refreshing, it raised the question of how the select committee built the political will to convince an often partisan Congress to go along with their recommendations. Based on his experience in the select committee, Representative Kilmer was optimistic on the potential of Congress to cross the aisle and work together. The collaborative approach of this committee has been really encouraging. You know, we're proving that it's possible for Democrats and Republicans to sit down together, engage in tough discussions, and ultimately find solutions to the challenges that we all face, and that that can be bipartisan. Um, in fact, uh, every we've now passed dozens of recommendations, and every recommendation we've passed so far has had unanimous support uh, out of committee that we're, we've, um, I think, including the 12 that we just passed, we're at 57 recommendations. You know, we did something also unique. Usually when you, you know, you asked it kind of how Congress works uh, from a standpoint of, you know, uh, our staff, our staffs, you know, generally what happens when you get a committee, when a new committee is established, the committee gets funding. And generally what happens is you divide by two or 
Um, sometimes, you know, one party gets a third of the money and the other party gets two thirds of the money. You know, and Tom and I had a conversation early on to say, you know, the problems are too big. And frankly, they require a broad buy-in from both parties. What if we do things a little bit different so that, you know, we have a staff where it's not half the staff in red jerseys and half the staff in blue jerseys, but a staff that's all wearing fixed Congress jerseys. So we, we're a unique committee in Congress in that we have a unified nonpartisan staff with one budget, one office, uh, and that, that, that breaks with the tradition of dividing resources by parties. And so we're, we're taking that uh, approach, you know, and, and as a consequence, been able to, to find common ground Representative Kilmer also mentions that this select committee is the first to pass recommendations on a rolling basis as opposed to waiting until their end-of-the-year report and had unanimously passed at least 57 recommendations by August and 97 recommendations by October of 2020. Of the nearly 100 recommendations approved by the select committee, one of them was this one, encouraging civility and bipartisanship in Congress. Representative Graves shares Kilmer's positive outlook as he recounts Kilmer's leadership in bringing both sides of the aisle together during the committee's debut. And uh, and he started off from day one uh, when we were all assigned together and and uh, we sort of got to make some recommendations based on the rules. You know, we're required to have so many people from the rules committee or from House administration or from the newest incoming class. And, and so, so we had some some, um, I guess, some guidelines in which the committee would populate. Um, but then once those members were, uh, were announced, um, Derek, he, he called for us to go on a, basically a mini retreat together to get to know one another, to begin strategizing and, and, and hearing everybody's individual thoughts and, uh, and then taking the collective thoughts of the committee and, uh, and then moving forward to listening from all members of the House, and including a lot of our leadership. We had a, a hearing where we heard um, from every member because it was really important not only to Derek, but to the entire committee that the, the House of Representatives, Republican, Democrat, all had input into the process from day one. And uh, it's amazing the ideas we received and things that a unique perspective from one member could have such broad impact on all members and ultimately on the objective of the committee, and that is to uh, make Congress work better for the American people. Incivility has always existed to some extent in American politics, so I pose the question if the attempt to improve civility in Congress was really worth the effort. Representative Kilmer discussed how that incivility helped to formulate some of the select committee's recommendations. I think it's really important. Um, you know, and, and, and let me say a, a couple things. You are right that, um, you know, our, 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 our founders did not expect that we'd all sit around a table holding hands, uh, singing Kumbaya together. You know, that's not, that's not the nature of our political process. But I think um, there is an exhaustion by the American people with just the level of um, partisan bickering and the degree to which too often all of this gets treated like a game to be won rather than problems to be solved. And, uh, you know, and I think that's really driven some of the recommendations by the committee. I mentioned we've made 
some recommendations in the civility space. And I'll, I'll just give you a few examples. So, you know, when you are a new member, uh, new to Congress, it's not dissimilar to, you know, being a new student uh, at a university, you go through orientation. And literally, um, you know, when this class went through orientation, uh, you had Democrats assigned to one bus and Republican uh, members assigned to another bus. And much of the new member orientation, you were kind of kept to your tribe. And, you know, so one of our recommendations was stop doing that. You know, let's have, let's, let's not ingrain the partisanship from the beginning, but let's offer orientation in a nonpartisan way, in a way that can promote civility and actually have some lessons on civility do, during new member orientation. Um, there used to be uh, bipartisan retreats for members and, and their families where, you know, rather than, as Tom mentioned, right now at the beginning of a Congress and usually at the beginning of each year, the Democrats take their retreat and Republicans take their retreat in a not insignificant amount of time is basically spent on how you can hose the other party, uh, to use a technical term. Um, and, you know, so much of being able to make progress, you know, and this came when we had hearings on the subject of civility and we brought uh, former members and they said, you know, what, what, what relationships really matter and, and, and don't sleep on trying to foster that relationship through retreats. And so that's been one of our recommendations. Similarly, you know, we made a recommendations about, uh, about having some dedicated space in the Capitol where members can interact with one another, Democrats and Republicans in, um, you know, because right now, uh, actually this has somewhat changed over COVID um, uh, in that we're not a allowed to hang out on the house floor, but prior to COVID really the only place where Democrats and Republicans really engaged one another uh, uh, was on the house floor. And that's not the greatest environment in which to do that. Um, you know, we had some policies related to um, uh, updating some of the committee policies to increase bipartisan learning opportunities uh, for, for staff and doing the type of agenda setting that, that Tom mentioned that our committee did, where uh, committee staff and, and, and uh, members could come together for retreats to, you know, encourage better policymaking and encourage better collaboration. I think this is an area where we know there's a lot of work to do and, and we, we're continuing to work uh, on this. And I think it's really important that institutes like yours exist, acknowledging that incivility in our politics is not limited to Congress. And frankly, it's not limited to politics, right? The, 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 you know, to some degree, our, um, the toxicity in our politics is a reflection of just a very divided country right now. And I think all of us want to see uh, um, just more progress on behalf of the American people. Representative Graves agrees that the Select Committee has been a shining example that Democrats and Republicans can come together and reach a consensus on issues. While the committee had unanimously passed a multitude of recommendations for Congress at that point, Congressman Graves points out that having a unanimous agreement doesn't mean there weren't disagreements. But it's an example that it can be done, that, that Republicans and Democrats can work together. Uh, I mean, you look at mine and Derek's different uh, uh, 
the districts and, you know, and the difference of the regions. And, you know, mine's a very, very conservative Republican district in the South. His is uh, a district that's uh, very Democrat that's in the Northwest. And, uh, but the fact that we uh, can set that aside and work together, along with all the other members that come from very diverse backgrounds as well. Um, but I would highlight that while we've been able to reach consensus, that doesn't mean we've always been in agreement. You've just never seen that disagreement public. And, and that's because we've always had our conversations in private. And uh, as far as where we might have a difference, I, I think our objectives were always aligned in what we were hoping to do. Um, but there are oftentimes there were disagreements and, and very valid arguments on both sides. And it wouldn't be necessarily a partisan disagreement. But it may be a, a, a process or a, a, a how, do you, how does it function or don't think it's necessary or maybe it's not the right time. A lot of different reasons for something. But I highlight that because we've had to work through differences and we've done it in a, in a way uh, that I hope is an example for other committees that you don't have to express those differences publicly. You don't have to call a hearing just so that there can be an expression of disagreement. Uh, in fact, all of our public hearings have been hearings on educating members and the public on a topic or an issue that we're, that we're trying to learn more about or showing or displaying agreement and recommendations that we're passing out. And, uh, and that's very unique, I mean, uh, for, for a committee to operate that way. And, and that, but that, again, that's to Derek's leadership and how he wants to see it operate. And as a result, it's been successful. Um, so the, the point of, I guess, me saying all that is, is that it's okay to have disagreements and it's okay to um, uh, be at loggerheads at times, as long as you're moving forward and you're working through it. And that's what we've been doing. And in fact, there's still some outstanding issues that we're working through as a committee that I know we'll have success in, in the end. Um, but it's not always perfect and, and, uh, and kumbaya through the process. We, we have to understand everybody's unique uh, perspective. And, uh, and, and point of view uh, from their background or their, their own personal experiences. You are listening to Upstream Downstream on WSHC-FM on the campus of Shepherd University in Shepherdstown, West Virginia. Our program is sponsored by the Stubblefield Institute for Civil Political Communications and its Listen, Learn, Engage initiative, seeking to prepare future health professionals and teachers for leadership and civic engagement roles as they work on the front lines of a COVID-infested world. On today's program, we are recapping our conversation with the Chairman of the Select Committee to Modernize Congress, Representative Derek Kilmer and Vice Chairman Representative Tom Graves. Unfortunately, critics say there are many voters who don't take kindly to their representatives being kindly across the aisle. Can civility be achieved with this in mind? Representative Graves says that partisanship isn't why he ran for office. When a constituency expects you just to oppose something because it's of a person, from a person, or from a party, that's, I don't know, that's not why I, I was, I ran for office. Um, I, I ran to be, a, you know, an independent thinker uh, who was providing ideas and solutions from my background and from my district and to be that voice to try to, um, you know, impact things in a positive way. 
anybody can go and vote against the other party or, or vote against a person or or express disagreement. Uh, it, it, it takes a stronger individual to be able to uh, step into that arena and try to work out uh, uh, an agreement with someone that, that you're in disagreement with. Representative Kilmer encourages members of Congress to be cordial with one another, citing that the majority of his district approved of his exchange with Arkansas 3rd Congressional District Representative Steve Womack. You know, the Bipartisan Policy Center uh, has been doing exchanges where they have a Democrat go to a Republican's district and a Republican go to the Democrat's district. And I think to some degree, part of the rationale behind it is to, you know, you can do a better job of understanding where someone's coming from when you actually see where someone's coming from. You know, I had Steve Womack, who's a conservative Arkansas Republican, come to Washington State, and we took him into Olympic National Park, and we went up Hurricane Ridge on a really cold, windy day. It's called Hurricane Ridge for a reason. Um, but, you know, the National Park Service showed him some of the maintenance backlog in our park. And as we had headed back down the mountain, he said, Kilmer, now I kind of understand why you yammer on about about the maintenance backlog in the National Park Service. And, you know, we took him to the Port of Tacoma and had a presentation on on uh, freight mobility. And the port did a bang up job of saying, you know, these are the number of containers that come into our port that end up in Arkansas. And here's how many containers come from Arkansas and go to the rest of the world from from our port. And you know, as we drove away, he said, Kilmer, all of a sudden I care about freight mobility in uh, the, the greater Puget Sound area. These exchanges arranged by the Bipartisan Policy Center allow members of opposing parties the opportunity to learn more about each other and their respective districts. But is there a way to allow members of Congress to spend more time getting to know each other and their issues? Well, so one of the mandates of the committee is to look at the issue of calendar and, and schedule. And I actually think that's one of the very significant contributors to the problem right now. Uh, last year, as an example, uh, Congress was in Washington, D.C. for 57 full, excuse me, 56, 57 full days and 56 travel days. 57 full days, 56 travel days. Uh, out of that uh, entire year. And so if you think about what a travel day looks like, a little bit different for those of us from the West Coast, you know, we're, we're you know, hopping on an airplane at 8 a.m. Uh, Pacific time, you know, landing in D.C. And, and getting to our offices at about 5 p.m. So it's not, it's not, those travel days are usually 6.30 p.m. boats uh, on, on a Monday and uh, and then uh, votes on the Thursday morning, and then everybody is wheels up. And one of the discussions that our committee has had is, is it worth looking at changing that calendar, at least laying out some principles of what a calendar might look like, really with two goals in mind. Um, one, to have more time to legislate, you know, for committees to meet you know, you, you've got, I mentioned 57 full days, 56 travel days. Uh, uh, the average um, member of Congress is on 5.4 committees and subcommittees. And when you try to jam all those committee meetings into that very limited amount of time, um, no wonder when you watch C-SPAN, uh, you will often notice that 
um, committees don't have uh, a whole lot of their members there. Representative Graves agrees that making calendar changes would be one of the greatest changes to help develop relationships among members of Congress. He believes that relationship building would be even more effective if members of Congress were to actually live in D.C., as opposed to traveling from their respective states, as impossible as that option may be. The, the breakdown in civility oftentimes is just because people don't know each other and they, they've never had one. They haven't taken the time or they just haven't had the time to get to know uh, any, anyone. I, I remember um, Derek and I were doing some conversation. This might have been a year ago. And they said, well, if there's one thing I think it was a, it was an interview. And they said, if there's one thing you could change, wave the magic wand. What would it be? And for me, it was something I know we can't can't do. But if I was waving the magic wand, it would be to require every member to move themselves and their family to the Washington D.C. area if if they were elected. You know, to make that commitment or at least have that knowledge that that had to happen. And the reason was, and that now, and I'm a person that's commuted. I'm on the East Coast. I can get on a flight. You know, there's 10, 12, 14 options a day. It's an hour, 20 minute flight. I can commute to D.C. back and forth every week without a problem. But by doing that, I, I never really know anyone. I, I don't get to know anybody other than it's in my committee or maybe within my own delegation. But had my family been in D.C., then, then my children would have been going to school with potentially Derek's children and others. And, it's, and, and you've been doing sporting events together. You'd have had life together any other family experiences in their own community where they're actually spending community together. And, and we, quite frankly, we just don't have that luxury or, or, or that ability as members. And, to, and, and I just know it'd be a lot harder to say bad things about a person who my daughter goes to school with their daughter. Given that previous attempts to modernize and bring civility to Congress have failed, Representative Kilmer says he has hope they'll succeed this time. There's a, a quote from um, a British rabbi who says there's a difference between optimism and hope. Optimism is the belief that things will get better, and hope is the belief that together we can make things better. And, you know, I think to some degree I have hope because I think together the stars are aligned, Democrats and Republicans, certainly on our committee, um, but I think you're seeing an appetite within Congress to try to actually have the place function better on behalf of the American people. That's why you saw a strong bipartisan vote to create this committee in the first place. It's why you've seen 57 unanimous recommendations passed. And I think we've got a lot more to do uh, in the time we have uh, left. But also, you know, I'll also point out, we're doing something a little unique here in that we're not just issuing a report, we're we're turning them into legislation. Representative Graves shares that sense of optimism, believing they've already made a change. Um, maybe there was hope in the beginning and high expectations uh, early on. Uh, and I just feel like we have met those and, and, and have more to do. And I think we're going to exceed those expectations. Not only we've had success as a committee just passing out the recommendations, something that hasn't been done for a couple of decades uh, by other select committees, but the fact they've passed as legislation is, is taking it to a whole nother level. And 
and and there's there's certainly more to do. But what excites me, and, and David, you know, this is my last term in Congress after over a decade. Um, this is sort of the capstone of my career. And ironically, I was placed on appropriations uh, in my very first term as a committee I did not want to be on. And uh, and I was assigned there, uh, you know, basically by Speaker Boehner to be a disruptor, right? To, to because certain things were out of control, and it was bringing back, you know, but go disrupt things and and uh, you know, in essence, blow it up, right? And and now at the end of my career, I'm assigned to the committee to fix things. It's, it's sort of an ironic career trajectory. The full discussion is available on the Stubblefield Institute's YouTube channel. The full list of recommendations by the Select Committee can be found at modernizedcongress.house.gov slash recommendations. And that will do it for this edition of Upstream Downstream. I want to thank our producer, Sarah Burke, and our assistant producer and editor, Bianca Eisen. Until next week, I'm David Welch. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Upstream Downstream, presented by the Stubblefield Institute for Civil Political Communications at Shepherd University. To learn more about the Stubblefield Institute or to become a friend of the Institute, please go online to stubblefieldinstitute.org.